We're looking this morning at the subject of fellowship in the spiritual gifts. And if you look at your bulletin outline, the first point is that every believer has a function in the body of Christ. For many years now, the emphasis in many churches among believers is to discover what their spiritual gift is. What's a spiritual gift? Well, a spiritual gift is a God-given ability animated by the Holy Spirit power to perform a special function within the body of Christ. Now, because it is a gift, it's like the gift of salvation, meaning you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, and before it was given to you, you didn't have it. It's a gift. One moment's not there, next moment it is there. This rules out then what the world refers to at times as talent. Those natural abilities that people possess because of their physical or mental makeup. And there are a lot of talented people, not only in the world, but in this church. They're not necessarily spiritual gifts. Things like musical ability. We say, oh, they're very talented when they sing, play an instrument, or whatever. Math and science skills. Language acumen. Physical coordination. Stamina. Discernment. A guy that's seven feet tall and can easily be a basketball star. That's a natural ability. Or a person that weighs 250 pounds and he's going to be a football star. All of these natural abilities are possessed by unbelievers as well as believers and they do not count as one of the spiritual gifts which God gives to his people. This does not mean that we ignore our natural abilities and use them selfishly or for ourselves, but it does mean that because a man is, let's say, successful as a businessman in the marketplace, it does not mean that he will function well on the board of deacons. A lot of churches do that, though. They say, well, you know, he's got his own business. Well, you know, he's been a, the CEO of this particular company for 10 years. I'll bet he would be great as a deacon. Well, not necessarily so. We need to understand that. The church must not look simply for people with natural abilities, but for those with spiritual empowerment, because the work, the function that we're all called to do is to glorify God and carry on His work. And you need spirit-filled people to do that. Listen to what the apostle says. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with a sober judgment. In other words, do, do a sober analysis of yourself. This is the good place to start. Do it with, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Okay? Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, who are many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
we have different gifts according to the grace given us. Romans 12, 3-6. So stop trying to discover your gift. Strive instead to find how you are functioning in the body of Christ. Look to that first, and then we can talk later about gifts. Now, for illustrative purposes, let me tell you my story this morning. When I applied to Moody Bible Institute as a student back in the early 60s, I applied for the Missionary Aviation Program. I was enamored with the idea of learning how to fly a plane, and I had visions of me flying over the heights of the Amazon jungle, bringing needed supplies to inland missionaries whose ministries were deep in the jungle. This was my dream, okay? It wasn't God's dream, but it was my dream. As a teenager, I was enthralled with the idea of the adventure. I was 18 years old. What I never counted on, what I never calculated, was that the school required all applicants to pass a rather extensive math test, and I failed miserably. <laughs> math? I mean, who, who needs math? Just stand clear of the prop, give me the throttle, and let me go. Well, I had no ability to read charts. I had no ability to calculate airspeed. I had no ability to assess weather conditions. I had no ability to determine mileage based on weight of the baggage and so on. All very important when you're flying into the bush. And then the straw. Then I learned that bush pilots, as they were called, had to become their own mechanics. What? Tear down your own engine and rebuild it with little more than baling wire and chewing gum? This flying frenzy was beginning to fizzle. <laughs> I didn't know how to do any of these things, and I didn't possess even the natural abilities to learn how to do them. I thought, well, no, wait a minute. Can't Missionary Aviation Fellowship hire a mechanic to repair the plane? You see, all I had was the desire the dream of flying. Well, sorry, folks, but when the Bible promises, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart, it goes on to say, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the new day sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Psalm 37, verses 4 through 7. Well, I waited, but not too patiently. And then my rejection notice arrived in the mail. Really? <laughs> you mean you're not going to train me to fly? To become a pilot? No, 
they were not. But they invited me to register for the regular mission program without the plane. What a, what a bummer. What a letdown. My dream had turned into a nightmare. But after a lot of prayer and consultation with my family, I swallowed my wounded pride. And I enrolled in the mission program, which was destined for yet another change that I'll tell you about later. You say, well, what's the point of the story? The point of the story is this. Why did I ever think that I could become a bush pilot when I didn't know my trapezoid from my parallelogram? My calculus wasn't calculating and my algebra wasn't angulating. (laughs) Numbers, angles, formulas. I was finished before I got started. My plane was permanently grounded. What was the problem? I could not demonstrate function to learning how to fly. You ask, well, no, can't God enable a person to do anything? Well, yes, of course, God can enable a person to do anything God wants him or her to be. That's the whole idea of the gifts. But it would have taken a miracle for God to equip me to be a bush pilot. But I discovered that learning how to fly over the Amazon was not as essential as Moses parting the Red Sea with a staff. And so there was no miracle forthcoming. You get the principle. God's usual way, His usual way of accomplishing His will for our lives is to take us where we are, where we are already functioning in the body, and then empowering us through His Spirit to do a service for Him that demonstrates His grace. His grace. Spiritual gifts are wedded to function, but function comes first. So my question to you this morning is this. What are you doing for the Lord now? Right where you are now while you're praying for God's direction. That's the important principle. That's where you begin. Secondly, every spiritual gift is given by God to benefit others in the body. Others in the body? My gift for others? You know, we tell our young people, you need to get a good education. So to that end, you need to get serious about college or about a trade school. And we parents push them in that direction. And in the push, we say, if you want to make a good living, you have to have a degree. Or again, you know, the best paying jobs are for those with a college education. The stats show that. Or again, doors of opportunity will open for you the moment you graduate from university. What are we saying? 
we are saying the way to provide for yourself, your family, the way to better your life and to advance up the social and economic ladder is to be well-educated. And that means the right school at the right time in the right program. And we say that to our kids. And brethren, I'm telling you, it is no different a push than the people of the world do with their kids. Back in the 60s when I was in college, many a parent was horrified to hear that their college-age adult was quitting college to join the Peace Corps. How many remember that? Know anyone remember that? You're going to do what? <laughs> Leave college, fly to Chile, and teach Aborigines how to grow a better crop of coffee beans on the side of a mountain? It was unheard of. And not only that, it's a waste of good brain power. It's a waste of good manpower. Why? Because the whole push towards college and higher education was to make money, whereas there was no money in the Peace Corps. Just backbreaking work on behalf of backward people who likely wouldn't appreciate the sacrifice anyway. So the logic went. This way of looking at education or training was purely self-centered. Use your brains. Use your skills for you. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there. You need to take care of yourself. No one else will. And as Christian people obedient to Christ, we cannot bring that mentality into the body of Christ. God does not gift people, either with education or enablement, so that they can become big shots within the Christian community. God doesn't gift us so we can make our mark on the world and then live in retirement in Waikiki. The American dream. Whatever your gift, here's what the Bible says. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Or again, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, or verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26. This is revolutionary thought, isn't it? The Bible is saying your spiritual gift isn't your gift. It isn't your gift. Your gift is not about you. It's about others. It's not for you. It's for others. And when you lay your head on the pillow at night, the closing thought of the day is not, boy, did I make a killing in the stock market today. But rather, today, God enabled me to buy Widow Franklin 
a set of new tires for her car. And by the way, Revelation or Romans 12, verse 8, calls this the gift of contributing to the needs of others. And if you have that gift, Paul goes on to say, then let him give generously. So that's the spiritual gift. Now that's what I mean when I say fellowship or partnership in the spiritual gifts is that God intends that you utilize your God-given gifts to bless others, to build up others in the faith, to fulfill the law of Christ, which is love, to carry out the mission of Christ, which is the gospel. And self-centered and self-absorbed people will never do this. The gift is linked to the glory of God, not me, myself, and I. He gifts us so that we might serve one another, bring glory to Him, serve the lost of our world, and bring glory to Him. Now that brings us to part B of our message, the characteristics of spiritual gifts. Without talking about each gift individually and what it is and analyzing, I'm doing something different. I'm sweeping all of those gifts and I'm talking about the principles or characteristics that govern their usage. Number one, the gifts, and I've already hinted at this, are to glorify God by serving others. But here's a text for you. It's in 1 Peter 4. That's our text. Look at verse 10 and 11. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Could anything be more clear than that? To serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, to Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. 1 Peter 4, verse 10, verse 11. Gives us what we're to do and the motive is to bring glory to God. Peter calls us administrators of God's grace. King James Version says stewards. The word steward has been replaced by the more modern term trustee. You may not know what a steward is, but you know what a trustee is. A trustee, a steward, is a person who administers the money and the resources of another. He doesn't own the money. He doesn't own the property. He just functions the way that the true owner's wishes are carried out. If he does well, the owner will declare, Well done, good and faithful servant. Good and faithful trustee. But if he messes up, if he neglects his duties or is shoddy in his management, he will hear, you wicked, lazy servant. Matthew 25, verse 26. Why? Because it isn't your estate. It isn't your money. You're managing it for the master. And you messed up. The underlying truth that I want to get at here is that our spiritual gifts, while ours by God's Spirit and grant, 
are not ours to use as we please. God's purpose of the gift is, verse 10, to serve others. There's no warrant for employing the spiritual gift that you have for your own advancement, recognition, and fame. Just this week, just this week, the scandal broke that the executives of both Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the two government agencies that recklessly destroyed the housing market through issuing subprime housing loans to people who couldn't afford them, these executives were given more than $12 million in bonuses. What? Think about this. They were rewarded for mismanagement of public funds to the tune of $1.441 billion. That's how much they wrecked the housing industry. And they're given the $12 million bonuses. And so these poor trustees use their administrative positions to advance themselves and to violate the public trust. Well, in God's church, this should never happen, though sometimes it does. Your gift is given for the betterment of others and for the praise of God the giver. Some gifts, public preaching, public teaching, may indeed bring greater recognition in the public sector, but such gifts are no less a given ability than a service gift, like repairing the building or shoveling snow off a widow's driveway in the wintertime. The gift in the Bible called helps. The gift of helps. Which, by the way, is where we came up with the name for the helps board out here. We list things on there where people can help. Whether it's going to a conference, whether it's going to support another ministry, and you sign up for that, it's the helps board. Consider Jesus' definition of greatness. Greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Matthew 23, verse 11 and 12. So the first principle, then, is that. Now, secondly, every believer is gifted by God, and no gift is unimportant. Let me give it for you. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To each one. Now, some don't believe this. They do not think they have a gift. Maybe this is due to them only looking to the more public gifts and concluding, well, you know, I, I can't teach. I can't preach. I'm not a good administrator huh? and yeah yeah they may be good at showing compassion to the hurting or distributing food to the hungry or driving an elderly person to their doctor's appointment and if that's you do you know that this is what the Bible calls the gift of mercy I refer to it as helps King James Romans 12 verse 8 the gift of mercy and that same verse also talks about the gift of encouragement, being a Barnabas that we studied a couple weeks ago, and the gift of contributing financially to the needs of others. 
Every believer has a function to perform in the body. You have a gift. It might be seen or unseen. It might be big. It might be small. It might be public or it might be behind the scenes. And to say that you don't have a gift is to say that you have no function in the body of Christ. You can just coast. And what is more, every gift is essential. Even those behind the scenes gifts. Listen to Paul. As it is, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are not presentable are treated with special modesty. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 20 through 23. Now here it would appear that Paul is addressing people who may possess some of the more, can I say it this way, flashy gifts. And they are, they're looking down upon those whose gifts are less noticeable. The eye to the hand, the head to the feet, and they're both saying, I don't need you. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good up here. All by myself. I don't need you. And, and, if this attitude comes across even in an unspoken way, the person with the less public gift may himself conclude, I am not needed. I'm not needed. It's obvious. I'm not needed. They can get along just fine without me. Now the first group has to watch out for pride. I don't need you. And the second group has to watch out for self-pity or envy. I'm not needed. Brethren, there is no, listen, there is no body without diversity of parts. Did you know that? Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Got to have an eye? Yeah, but you also have to have an ear. He goes on. If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. And if there were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 17 through 20. So we all have a gift. We all have a gift. We all have a function to carry out in the body of Christ. Number three, God sovereignly decides who receives what. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. Or again, verse 18. But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. Verse 18. What's the implications of that? 
Well, if you gripe and complain about your gift, you are opposing the will of God. That's the first implication. If you belittle another for his or her gift, you are suggesting that God didn't know what he was doing. Are you sure you want to scold God for his decisions? Back in the 50s, there was a family show on TV starring Robert Young. It was called Father Knows Best. Well, let me say, our Heavenly Father is the one who knows best how to care for his body and how to build his church. Consider as well that not only does your gift complement your function, but the gifts are dispensed in different measure. That is to say, God might give, let's say, the gift of teaching to two different people. One becomes a radio and TV celebrity in the Christian community, always being asked to speak at this conference or that conference. Another works in an obscure rural setting, seldom, maybe even never, getting the opportunity to speak beyond the borders of his own community. What is that? Well, that's like the parable of the talents. The talents being a designation of money that Jesus told. Three servants were given different sums of cash. All were to put the money to work for the advancement of the master. Regardless of having three coins, two coins, or one coin. The idea behind this was what? It's fidelity. It's industry. It's conscientious administration of what they had been given regardless of the amount, the measure thereof. And the principle is you use what you have for God's glory and you don't concern yourself with the other guy. If you're a teacher and he's a teacher, you don't do this comparison thing. Number four, every gift is a bestowment of God's grace. God's grace. The Greek word for gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31 is charisma, from which we get all kinds of derivatives. Talking about a charismatic person or a person has Charisma. It's the Greek word for grace. Hence, the gifts of God to his church are his graces. Now, a grace is something someone gives to you that you've not earned, nor paid for, nor deserved. Last week, I bought my wife a sweater when I was over at a business meeting in Flint. When I got home, I gave it to her, and she says, what's the occasion? <laughs> no occasion. Can't I buy something for no reason for the one that I love? Can't God bestow kindnesses upon his people that he loves? It's a charisma. It's a grace. Paul words it this way. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. Romans 12, verse 6. Peter says in our text, verse 10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. 
What about Paul himself? Ephesians 4 verse 11, he explained that Christ gave gifts to the church and he says he gave some to be apostles. Now here you're talking about an actual office that's given to the church. He goes on. Be that as is may, he tells on himself in the previous chapter, and here's what he wrote, Ephesians 3, verse 7 and 8. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Ephesians 3, verse 7 and 8. That was His gift. It'd be very wrong for you to say, well, you know, Paul was just a natural born speaker. He was one of the rabbis that was taught in those good schools there in Jerusalem. Grace means none of us are worthy. You don't earn your gift through a previous stellar service record. And you are not demoted because of a sinful past. Paul was a Christian killer in his past. He persecuted the church even beyond the natural borders of Palestine. He pursued his own testimony. He pursued people even to strange and foreign cities. Not exactly the kind of candidate we would choose become an evangelist or our missionary. And Paul says, yeah, I understand. I understand it real well. I am an apostle to the Gentiles because God gifted me with that ability. Number five. All gifts can be improved upon through grace, but through gracious usage. Usage. What was the great sin of the man who received the one talent, the one gold coin from his master? It was this. He dug a hole and he buried it. He despised the mount or he was lazy or he blew it off as insignificant or any combination thereof. He didn't put it to work unlike the two other servants who earn interest on their holdings. He didn't use it. He didn't put it to use. Say, how, how do you put money to use? Jesus said, well, you should have gone to the bankers, you know, and they pay interest. That's how you put money to use. You could have done that. So now listen to Paul as he speaks to young Timothy. Here's what he says. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. You got a gift, Timothy, but you need to fan it into a flame. It's there as a coals, you know. The fire's there, but you need to do something with it. Or again, same author to the same person. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. God gave you this gift, Timothy. Now don't neglect it. 
Now, Timothy was already a capable preacher. That's not the point. So how could he improve? Well, Paul says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. May I say it kindly, the best preaching is not accomplished through the point and pontificate approach. See, so what do you mean by that? Oh, let's see. I'm going to preach. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. That's the point in pontificate. You say, do preachers really do that? Well, yeah. They haven't thought out a series. They haven't figured what they're going to do in terms of step-by-step expository preaching to their people. They're just going to wing it. As long as I can get up there and for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, pontificate on a spiritual theme, that's good enough. Is that a workman who does not need to be shamed? Is that a person that's correctly handling the Word of God? There is a science to studying the Bible just as there is a science to studying any other subject. And no gift of the Spirit is given to the recipient in its mature adult form. The Bible says of Ezra, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Ezra 7 verse 10. No shoddiness on Ezra's part. He was in the book studying and learning how he can present the truths of the gospel to the people of his day. Some people won't have the gifts to do this. I didn't have the gift of mathematics and science to be able to learn how to fly a plane. Turns out I had gifts and language skills, Greek and Hebrew, English, things of those things. I like to study. Some people hate to study. Number six. Every gift is effective. Every gift is effective only by faith, by exercising faith. I'm going to quote Bridges on this. He says, We cannot assume God's blessings on our efforts, even though we are laboring within the bounds of the gifts that God has given us. End quote. What a great quote. Years ago, the Pregnancy Center was running a deficit in their finances. Well, not just years ago. This happens lots of times. But I'm thinking of this incident that happened years ago. And so for their banquet fundraising, they hired a well-known gifted speaker. And as he reviewed some of the needs listed in a prayer letter, before he spoke, 
he was heard to say privately, and I heard him say it, don't worry, I'll get this for you. Referring to the money that they needed. Well, <laughs> his appeal for money fell flat. The goal was not reached. Why not? Because Mr. Speaker of the night relied more upon his own expertise in speaking than upon faith in Christ. That's why not. I don't care what your gift is. You might be the best preacher, the best whatever, administrator. You might be able to handle money very, very well. I don't care what your gift is. If you don't exercise it in faith to bring glory to Christ, to no avail. We need to avoid two extremes. Laziness in developing our gift, yes, but pride in our own track record of success. Paul put it this way, to this end I labor, listen to this, I labor struggling with all his energy. His energy? Did I read that right? To this end I labor, the word for struggle is agonizomai, from which we get agonize. To this end I labor, agonizing with all His energy, which so powerfully works in me. Colossians 1 verse 29. That's how you're going to be, using your gifts and bringing glory to God. And that's why we call them spiritual gifts, not human ingenuity, not human skills. The empowerment comes from God and the goal is to bring glory to Him. Number seven. Seven characteristics. It is love alone which gives worth to your gift. Did you, yeah, did you did I read that right? Yeah. It is love alone which gives worth to your gift. Right between 1 Corinthians 12, dealing with the various types of gifts and how the Spirit administers them and distributes them and so forth, and then over here in 1 Corinthians 14, speaking of the gift of languages and versus prophecy or preaching, right between those two chapters we have 1 Corinthians 13, which deals with love. And here's what he says. If I speak in the tongues the languages of men and of angels, but I have not love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, preaching, and I can fathom, I can fathom all mysteries, all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor, there's the gift of mercy, giving generosity. Surrender my body to the flames, martyrdom, but have not love. I gain nothing. First three verses of 1 Corinthians 13. Brethren, it is love that bonds us together in fellowship, not the gifts. Not the gifts. I've known many a gifted person who was a cold fish in his or her relationship with others. They gained nothing. They were nothing. 
nothing but hot air. They had no love. No love in the exercise of their gifts. Became proud or arrogant or what have you, or stagnant, lackadaisical, indifferent, whatever. There's no love there to inflame the use of the gifts. Now lastly, how do we discover our gifts? I can't develop them. My time's almost gone. So I'll just do what I can do here. I got five things. Number one, soberly assess the measure of faith that God has given you. Romans 12, verse 3. Soberly assess the measure of faith is, the, is referring to the gift that God has given you. Me applying for pilot training at Moody had nothing to do with my ability and everything to do with my subjective feelings. What makes you think you can be a, a pilot, Fred? Well, no, I've always dreamed about being up there in the clouds. And no, 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 I didn't ask you that. I'm asking... Where's your ability to go into that kind of training? You know, there's only a slot for 15 people in this program, and you're going to be flying or learning to fly on a plane that costs $300,000. So what makes you think that you can do that? Well, I want to do it. Love doing it. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Subjective feeling, subjective feeling, subjective feeling. Look into the mirror of the Word of God and assess yourself soberly. Number two, look to function, not the gift. What are you doing for the Lord right now? Don't say, well, boy, you know, if I had the gift of preaching, if I had the gift of being an evangelist, I think I would like to go to, I think I'd like... Now, let me tell you something. It ain't never going to happen. It isn't. What are you doing for the Lord right now? If you're not a student of God's Word, let me tell you, you're not called to preach. You're not called to teach. Right now, right now. If you're not that now, now you can improve your skills. I'm not saying that. You can improve your gift. But if you're not doing these things in some way now, it's not going to happen. I had a professor at school that said, no boat ever made a missionary. What? What are you saying, Dr. Cook? <laughs> he was saying, if you're not evangelizing now, not speaking to the lost now in terms of the gospel, getting on a transport that takes you to the dark continent of Africa will not change anything. He was right. It's my mission teacher. Number three. This is hard. What doors have been slammed in your face? Now this is a different kind of an assessment. This is asking the question, what has God not called you 
to do. And you know it because he slammed the doors in your face. Well, I can tell you what mine. I got the door slammed on my dream of being, being a pilot. Slam! Rejection notice! Oh no! Oh yes! You aren't going to be up in the skies, Fred. Door closes here, door closes there, door closes there. Those are indicators to you from God that maybe your gift is not what you think that door was going to be. Number four, don't rely too heavily on natural abilities as indicators. These may, listen to me, these natural abilities may have to be crucified with Christ if you love them or rely upon them too much. Are you a good musician? You can play an instrument, you can sing well, you know how to read music. Are you an excellent administrator? You've got a proven track record? No matter. Now listen to what I'm saying. God may put you in a remote wilderness where none of your talents will be accessible or appreciated. And yet, He will expect you to live for Him in a God-honoring way. See, what are you saying? I'm saying you may have to give up your natural talent you may have to give up your dream to be useful with his gracious spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not built upon your talents. They're a gift from God. Many a young person has had to come to that reality, especially in the area of music. Very gifted in some areas. And they just, now listen to this, they just naturally think that God is going to use their ability in music to serve Him in the Christian community. And God says, you know what? That gift needs to be crucified because you rely upon it too much. It is too much with you. But I have something here that you're going to be able to do. And I'm going to gift you to do that but it's not going to be in the area that you have this great love and passion for. Now, not always. God sometimes gives us those things and allows us to use both or whatever. But I'm just saying, you need to be open to that if you're going to do an honest assessment of gifts versus talents. Number five. This is so important. This was important in my life. I'm sharing it with you. Listen to the brethren's assessment, both verbal and by implication. Listen to their assessment of you. Bumped out of the aviation program at Moody through my own ineptitude, I accepted the school's suggestion to enroll in the mission program. Here's the way I reason, well, you know, I want to be used of the Lord. I want to serve Him in missions. They're not going to let me fly, but that doesn't mean I can't go. But as I had opportunities to minister in the local churches in Chicago, we all had what they call Christian service work. 
Served as a youth director. Got to preach a couple times when the pastor was ill. And people began to say to me, you know, have you ever considered going into the pastorate? Duh. No, not really. Or they would say, you know, you have a gift of speaking. Duh. No, no, you, you misunderstand. I'm enrolled in I'm I'm enrolled the mission program. You see that says that right there on my little uh, enrollment paper. I'm studying to be a missionary. I'm going to Africa. I'm going to South America. Well, I think you ought to think about going into the pastorate. And I thought about that. And the more people said that to me in my senior year. I changed to pastoral studies, which I pursued after graduation from Moody on to John Brown University and finally to John Brown or to uh, Westminster Seminary. What am I saying? I'm saying this. The brethren are a reliable guide to your gifts. I could have been, uh, become hard-headed about this and say, no, you know, I was already thrown out of one program here. <laughs> Uh, missionary aviation. I'm going to become a missionary come hell or high water. Or I could swallow my pride a second time and say, Gulp. You're not going to the mission field. You're going to become a pastor. And by their encouragement and appreciation, you will learn wherein God has gifted you or where not. Where not. Extremely helpful. The brethren will help you come to an understanding of your gift. Wow. Fellowship in the gifts. What a great day that you can serve one another. You can serve me. I can serve you. We can do a partnership in all of things. We're just a part of the body, a member of. But the collective parts make up the one body. How neat is that? Every one of us needs everyone else. Our Lord, we thank you for your word and how precious and powerful it is. And we get ourselves bent all out of shape at times by going headstrong into doing what we want to do, regardless of how we are already functioning, regardless of any skill levels that we might have or not have. We just get an idea in our head, and boy, we're going to pursue it like bull in the china shop. Please, Lord, firstly forgive us for that. Forgive us that for that inordinate pride to think that we know best how God can use us to do his work. And then for everyone here this morning who maybe they're on the opposite end of the spectrum. They, they don't think they have any gift. At least they haven't discovered it. But then they're not doing anything in the church either. They're not functioning. What, what, what function are they doing? Nothing. You say, well, I'm looking. I'm looking. That's nothing. That's doing nothing. Lord, help them to say that there's something for them to do, even if it doesn't have a label on it, even if it ha doesn't have a job description that goes with it. 
And that is, as they're obedient to loving you, loving you, Lord, loving the brethren, you will make your will known to them. I pray that you'll help us. We are a small church, but we are a gifted church. Everyone here in this room that's a Christian has a spiritual gift that they can use for the advancement of Christ and the gospel. I pray, Lord, you'll help us to do that. For those that are unsaved, that are not believers here this morning, may they understand the joy that they're missing out on of being in a body where each person does have worth and purpose and a goal and direction for life while they're sitting there aimlessly drifting here and there from pillar to post. They could have the same continuity, collective love and relationship with each other in the body of Christ if they came to Christ, if they knew you as Savior. I pray that you'll draw them by your saving grace today. Grant them the faith that they don't have and the repentance that they don't want to do. Just as you give gifts to your people to serve you in the church, so you give the gift of salvation that no one earns or deserves. Lord, save whom you will for the glory of Jesus and the expansion of his kingdom. Amen.